Survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Get Norman. Stonehaven Cup. Leishman to 11 under. We've got a new leader, kids. Here it is. Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. Hello and welcome to Inside the Ropes, episode number 67. I can't believe we've made it that far. It's extraordinary and to think we're doing it third week in a row without Andy Marr really starting to uh, struggle for his spot back in the selected, uh, I don't know, 18-5? What sport are we playing, Blakey? Martin Blake, welcome. G'day, Hazy. And uh, I am getting sick of Andy's uh, kind of Instagram and tweets uh, with his feet up in hammocks looking out over Vietnamese beaches and stuff like that. Makes you crook in the guts, doesn't it? That's shocking. And no, he, just... he knows this is like crunch time in the golf season for us. Like, this is a busy time. I know. He's offering up nothing. So do you think he's worthy of his spot back in the team based on past form? Uh, look, he's a pretty good host. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I, I, I'd say so, but he's just going to have to work on it. Fair enough, Cole. Yeah. Well, that's Martin Blake, and he's joined in the co-host chair this week by a bloke I don't even know how to describe him. He's he's done more podcasts than Mr. Steve Jobs himself. I don't even know. Who's a good podcaster? Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. He's done more podcasts than Joe Rogan. Michael, Mike Clayton. Michael Balvaro, he does one a day for the Daily. New York Times, he's the best. Well, he, he's prolific, but he's not as prolific as you. This is your third in how many days? No, no, no. no. I, did one. Well, I did one here with Corey Perkin in the studio. What You better tell us about that. Well, it was to promote our book. She has a book pod uh, with her bookshop, my bookshop in... Um, Hawksburn Village, and we spoke about the book Charlie and Happel I did with about 15 or 20 essays each. Uh, with so people can, where can people listen to that? It's called The Book Pod. Called the John book Huggins pod, in yep. there as well, isn't he? Huggy's done stuff in there. Peter yep. Thompson did one. Andrew Thompson, Peter's son did one. Uh, Hazy and I, not Richard Allen. No, not Still waiting for the letter, Hazy. Yeah, no, no invitation yeah, for lots us. Of, lots of people. Charlie's actually, to the book. He, he's a good friend of mine, Charlie, and he rang me right at the end of that and said, can you do this? And the, the, it just didn't work out anyway. And, and then on, we, did one, yeah. we did one yesterday in Canberra with Rod Murray and Adrian Logue. They have a I Seek uh, Golf. I Seek Golf podcast. It's a book podcast. So we did a book review of The Links, which is a 1926 Robert Hunter book on golf course design. So for all the golf course design nerds, you can. Dig that one up. Can you remember life pre podcast now? Like, you know, people would say before Google, after Google, yeah. that's when life started. Yeah. Podcasts, no, is that when you... them. Well, well, I was doing them for years with Shackleford and Huggin on the mm. state of the game one without ever being able to find them or you know, I, never, <laughs> I never knew where they were. But once I got discovered them on my phone, I, I just drove down from Albury this morning with the podcast on, which was so a nice drive from Albury. Do, it's not a bad drive. Yeah, Beautiful yeah. time of the year this spring in, in uh, inland Victoria and inland anywhere in the country without it being too hot. Um, so do we have to get off air to let you go to another podcast no, no, commitment, or is this, is this here, it today? I'm here, I'm here. All right, well, so that's for the just for the, ref- for the rest of the week. If you oh, can- in fact, there might be with Shackle. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> or I think I'm can't. overexposed. Is that your point? No, no, I don't <laughs> think you could ever be overexposed, Clay. So just recapping that whole segment there. <laughs> Clay, you can hear him again on the book pod, and you can also hear him on I Seek Golf's uh, golf podcast, which is a book club one this week. a book club one. So we've got no books. We might talk about a magazine a little later on. But Blakey... Another massive week for Australian golf. Um, you know, even though we're in a, an unusual part of the calendar um, without the the regular European tour and American tour stops, I guess the domestic Australasian PGA tour is up and about, and and that's where we found an incredible story. And we are very fortunate later on in the podcast today to speak to Zach Murray. Well, we're you know we're very familiar with him, Hazy, aren't we? You know, he's sort of come through the Victorian. Uh, elite amateur programs and the Golf Australia programs as well. And it was a fantastic result for Zach to shoot uh, 16 under and win his first pro tournament, even though he can't pick up the cash. 
He's now got a uh, ticket to play on the Australasian PGA Tour to the end of 19, Clates, I think. Actually, I didn't think of that. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, he has now yeah. got a, a ticket to play, so he has a place to play. So he's also got a decision to make, Hazy, hasn't he? Yeah, we'll ask him about that. Yeah. Um, he's been kind of delaying that, but, uh, you know, he's going to have to make a decision. And, look, it was a great uh, week for, for the elite amateurs because David Michaluzzi, who shot 14 under and finished second, uh, was, was right there with him all the, all the way on the last day, in fact. They were tied for the lead at one stage in the in the last round. So um, Andy Ma's sort of golden era hashtag um, was right to the fore. It, it could not be more to the fore. I mean, it's a phenomenal thing. I guess the big winner out of that is Matt Miller. Didn't have to do any speeches yeah. or uh, you know he anything like third, that. He yeah. gets third and picks up the big check. So we all love Matty Miller. He's a, a stalwart on the um, ISPS Absolutely. hand, a PGA Tour of Australasia, and one of the nicest blokes you'll ever meet. So congratulations to him. But that he was shown up. And I say that with respect by two amateurs. Um, it, it's it points well, it augurs well for the future of Australian golf as we continue to say, um, wire to wire too in the American vernacular. Yeah, uh, a, a tremendous achievement for Zach Murray to go out and sleep on the lead for three separate nights at Mount Lawley, isn't it? And, and only twenty two years of age. Had his father Craig on the bag. I think Craig had yeah. a few tears at the end there. Ah, oh, is it, that three uh, three times in the last maybe four or five years that the WA Open's been won by an amateur. Yeah, unless we, I was saying, unless we forget that Oliver Goss, who won it five years ago when he beat Brady White in the playoff. That was, in, is that right? Was I thought Brady, I've better what, check that. Brady, I think Brady, won didn't he beat Brady, Brady White won it? I think Brady White won it. And then uh, I'll double check that as we yeah. go on here. But Curtis I think Brady Luck won, won it, of course. Curtis Luck won it in yeah. 2016. So, so three times in the past eight years. Clates, what does that is, say? The trick is now to get from where he is now to... Not where Oliver Goss is now, which is oh, yeah. retired at 24. When you think that Graham Marsh turned pro at 24. Yeah. Like, well, you know, maybe Oliver Oliver did play in that tournament, incidentally. Yeah. Uh, but he's, as if the listeners don't know, he's decided to go back to coaching um, having, and, and away from uh, touring pro golf. Clates, what does it say if an amateur wins an event like the WA Open? Is it, is it a good thing, bad thing, uh, neither, either of the above? No, or? it's a good thing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You get an exemption; and it shows you can play. And I mean, it's not a massive tournament, but it's not a, you know not the best field in the country. But it's, it's hard to win. Yeah, it's a, yeah and, it's the, and the course win. is not it's not a difficult course. So it's you know, but it's yeah, winning a an, an open event as an amateur in Australia is, but it's become increasingly more common. I mean, I it has my time. Tony Gresham and Chris Benithan finished one and two in the South Australian Open. 1979 when Roger Davis was third. And then Devlin, I think, beat Ted. Devlin certainly won as an amateur in 1960, and I think he beat Ted Ball, who was also an amateur, in the Australian Open 1960. That's phenomenal. It feels to me, Hazy, like... So it's not like it hasn't happened before. It feels to me like the best amateurs are probably a little bit better than the mid-range pro. Yeah, well, yeah, probably. Yeah, the evidence of last week would suggest that. Hazy, uh, Carl Phillips finished 33rd in that event, uh, who we spoke about last week, came back from the Youth Olympics. And uh, Kirsten Rudgley, a uh, young woman uh, from Perth, uh, finished eight over, so she did okay. And Maddie Tolshard, who we spoke to last week on the program, uh, who qualified and got into the field, shot 79-80 and I think beat about 10 or 11 of the pros home. So yeah, missed she, a cut, but... Uh, she was a million over after five holes, so it was probably a good yeah. fight back. So, you know, clearly very nervous, but full... Full credit to Kirsten Rudgley, a member at both the host club, Mount Lawley, and also out at Wanneroo, uh, further north. Um, actually, it should be further south, I should say, in Perth. So, uh, no, further north, beg your pardon, I was right the first time. It, it, it's a, a great sign for both men's and women's golf in Australia that that can happen. Um, I'm full of their their praise, and they've got big decisions to make. We, all, we talked about who's done that in the past couple of years. Um, ben Eccles, of course, won the New South Wales Open a few years back, and Brett Coletta won the uh, the Queensland Open um, himself a couple of years ago. So you know it's not without precedent, that's for sure. And uh, you know there's going to be a handful of amateurs who really fancy their chances at the Brisbane Golf Club later this week, and when the Queensland Open, the Isuzu Queensland Open kicks off, and we'll talk to Zach about that because I'm sure he knows that once he's won, he's got a whole heap of his mates who are champing at the bit to sort of get out and have a crack at it. Let's move up north just briefly, and we will speak to Zach Murray very soon, uh, but we'll move north in a hurry, Blakey. Um, we're going to talk about the woman who's really uns- unsung is probably too strong a word, but Minji Lee has 
just continues. Every week we say this, she continues to churn out one of the more amazing seasons on the LPGA Tour in terms of consistency that anyone's ever produced. Yeah, Minji Lee second in the LPGA uh, event. Um, where was that event again? I'm just Taiwan. It's Taiwan. Ta- in Taiwan, that's, that's right. Swing yeah, look, skirt, that's, her, skirts, that's her thirteenth uh, top ten finish this year. I'm going to argue here that Minji Lee is probably I'm not, unsung's not really the right word, is it, Hazy? You've made that point, but I think that she's maybe the most unheralded. Um, female Australian sportsman anywhere in any sport, really, considering what she's done compared to the level of publicity she gets, which is not all that much. I mean, we've tried uh, to project her out there to people, but I guess she's doing her stuff overseas for most of the year. But, wow, you know, what a a performance by Minji. Shot 66 in the last round. She finished two back from Nellie Corder, who was quite a story herself, and Clates, you're very familiar with that uh, particular family, uh, Nellie being the younger sister of Jess and both of them being the daughter of Peter Corder, the former pro yeah. tennis player. I think he played. Like Caddy Finelli and uh, Royal Adelaide in the Australian Open. Yeah, yeah. Um, she didn't play very well, but yeah, she's a gun. She's that was her first win on the LPGA. Her brother, won, her brother won the Australian Junior at the Australian Open. The Australian, yeah, at the Australian Tennis Open this year. Yeah. Do you want some of these stats on Minji? Uh, Go for it. Hazier. So 13 top 10s in 25 starts this year, which is uh, absolutely unbelievable consistency. I mean, she's... Only had two missed cuts in 25 starts, so that tells you something as well. The one that jumped out at me, 10 top five finishes. So she won the Volvic Championship in Michigan in May. Uh, she lost a playoff to Lydia Ko in San Francisco when Lydia Ko hit one of the, one of the four time yeah. great golf shots in, in a playoff, <clears throat> knocked it to, you know, stone dead with a three wood uh, to beat her there. She's won $1.5 million US this year, career $4.5 million. I mean, She's actually got a chance, Hazy, of, um, you know, it's going to be difficult for her, but she's running second in the, the points race, which they call the race to CME Globe. There's two tournaments left in the Tour Championships. She's uh, 900 and a little bit points behind area Jatanagar. Um, but if she finishes strongly, which her form's really good at the moment, she could actually get up and win that. And there's a million-dollar bonus hanging on that. So, uh, look, Minji Lee's been absolutely awesome, and we're, we're lucky to have her. Clates, I'm going to ask you and throw your phone back to you that you threw to me in a second, and I will say to you, this is why she's unsung. Recently, there was a, um, a group of Australian women announced as nominees. The for Australian Sportswoman of the Year, was that what it was? Yeah, the Women's Health Sportswoman of the Year, and the nominees were Kate Campbell from Swimming, Madison Rosario from Para-Athletics, Sam Kerr from football stroke soccer, who I'd argue should have won, in my opinion, should have won She's the Sports Australia Hall of Fame Don Award, but that's neither here yeah. nor there because Kurt Fernley's a legend. Steph Gilmore, who's obviously a legend. Steph Morton from uh, track, track Cyclist. And Tia Claire Toomey from CrossFit and Weightlifting. Where, in your opinion, your humble opinion, does Minji Lee sit among that lot? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure of the order, but she certainly ought to be in there. How can you be? How can you be second on the LPGA main list and not be amongst the six or seven best sportswomen in Australia? And a sport that's played all over the world. Yeah, truly. It's hardly, you know, it's dominated by Koreans and the great American players, great European players. I mean, it's a truly global sport, and she's second on the main list. And how can you not at least get a, get get your name in the hat? Well, maybe, um, maybe Hazy, she needs to engage a little bit better with the media. That's been a bit of a, an issue for Minji, in my opinion. You know, she's not, not great at doing interviews, um, and she has always had this, this issue. She does, I don't think she particularly likes doing it, but, you know, maybe she needs to work a little bit on that just to, to well, promote her brand a little bit better. I get on well with her, and I think she interviews really well with me, but it's taken a fair while to, to get a comfort level for her. But having said that, we tried hard to get her on today for the show, and she mm. couldn't pick up her phone in Japan. So apologies for people who wanted to hear her voice. We'll definitely try and get her on, because she's, she's good value when she starts talking, but she's not. Well, the Koreans certainly claim her. You know, her parents are both Korean. She was born in Perth. But the Korean, she's plastered in Korean sponsors, Hana Bank and, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, Australian sponsors, Australian companies – get around this person because she, she is a absolute world-class. She's a superstar of golf. And proudly Australian. And very much Australian. She represented Australia and won a world amateur championship as an Australian player. Australian companies aren't great at sponsoring Australian women golfers. No, they're, they're probably not. probably not great at sponsoring not. Australian men golfers, but women don't. <laughs> I mean, so well, the same thing. She's got Korean stuff all over now because 
Koreans will pay for that. Yeah. Australians yeah, they won't. Claim, they claim it. Yeah, but they, well, I don't they claim it. But well, they 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 take them as as their own. Or well, they certainly pay them, and they're promoting Korean companies. But if, it's, mm. if an Australian company is not going to promote you, then you know, if you want to make money off the golf course, then you need to go somewhere else to get any sort of endorsement deals. Sarah Jane Smith finished tied twenty sixth in that hazy, and Hannah Green tied forty eighth. Hannah's seventy fifth on the points list needs to be in the top seventy two. Uh, to get in the Tour Championship. She's top 80 means you retain your full card. So she's she's done she's pretty done well, well, hasn't Yeah, Graham? very well. Uh, whether she gets in the Tour Championship, it probably depends. She's not playing this week in Japan. Minji Lee and uh, Aria, Aria Jutanagan are both playing this week, so that's going to be a big showdown. Uh, showdown. They might even put them on the same, you know, in the so same group. But uh, There are two more than CME. Yeah, so they're playing Japan, right. then Japan, Hainan, China. Right? That's right. Hainan, okay. Right. Yeah. Then off to Florida Back for to the... Florida. Uh, for the Tour Championship. Um, fascinating season on the LPJ Tour. So many tremendous champions. It just all bodes well for the Women's Australian Open in uh, at the Grange next February. It's going to be phenomenal. I'm really looking forward to the field we're going to assemble. We'll talk a bit more about the Men's Australian Open in the next segment, which we're going to have to throw to now. Oh, the the build-up for this is extraordinary. Like It just sends Twitter into a meltdown every time we, we, we tee this up. Can only do it when Clates is in the studio, Blakey. Hasn't got yep. it the same zing without Clates, but we're going to take a break, and on the other side of this, come back for the famous, world-famous, hashtag Ask Us Anything. Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian golf's national junior program. One of my favourite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. Sir, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. I'm, I'm very nervous here. I'm not, I don't perform well in front of cameras, Blakey. And no. apparently we are on air live on Facebook as we do this simulcast of sorts. Facebook Live for the famous Ask Us Anything. So Mike Clayton, Martin Blake, Mark Hayes, we're all here to answer your questions. We've got some off Twitter. Uh, we've been stormed by a heap there. We'll take your questions live on Facebook Live. Uh, just write in, use the hashtag Ask Us Anything, and we'll do our best to get a few to air. This is where you get to see Clates in all his glory. So, uh, you know, some of the questions. Clates, when I put it on Twitter yesterday, I said this is my single biggest challenge in, in, in Andy's absence is to sort of keep the reins on you right. when this segment right. goes on. And Except too many people. Have <laughs> we got our lawyers sort of lawyers present are, outside? Yeah, just they're just, just, just outside the door. So yeah. Anita Blinko t- basically said to me, she's a regular listener and, and, a, and a great right. fan, okay. particularly of yours, good luck with that, Hazy, she said, oh, me okay, trying okay. to keep the reins right. on you. Okay, good, yeah. But she did ask a very good pertinent question. What are, what are your thoughts and that of Ogilvy, Clayton, Cocking and Mead, your... Um, course development business what are your thoughts what are your views on spare holes within golf courses are they necessary stroke helpful to help effectively manage hole maintenance or have or more hassle or work work, uh, work than they're worth what's your opinion well they're worth it i mean the, specifically metro restored their old sixth hole which they're playing in the world cup the hole we did they put that back because they were regrassing two greens every year so every every year so that's the short par three in the middle Up of the, the front hill. nine. Yeah. So every year we played this ridiculous Great temporary hole. hole from the practice tee onto the practice green. It was awful. So they put that. I mean, they they, they since stopped with that regime of regrassing greens, but that was why they put that hole back, and that's been a great success. In fact, they should never have lost it, but that's a long story. Kingston Heath put theirs back for this. Well, we rebuilt the nineteenth hole at Kingston Heath, which they're going to play in the Australian Open. They played in the Masters because it allows for a two tee start. <clears throat> Um, they put that back in because they were regrassing greens. There was nowhere to put temporary greens on the par threes. And they had space behind the first hole to put that in, so they put that one in. Uh, Victoria put theirs in for... Well, that initially started off as a practice green. So we were going to build two practice greens at Victoria. And in the end, it got watered down, in a sense, into one 19th hole, which they've used when they've had holes out of play. They're using it now because the course is... Well, it's not shut, but the regrassing of the greens, they've, of course, was shut for two months. Now it's open. They're, put, they're, put, they're putting on the temporary greens on the fairway. So the 19th hole gives them a chance to at least put on one green while the course is so, going back in. 
Surely, from a logistic point of view, it's a, it's a great idea if you get a good spare hole. Mm. I've played both those ones that you mentioned that you did at Kingston Heath yeah, and Metro. Yeah. They're terrific they're holes. Really good holes. Yeah. And but I know that at Kingston Heath they tend to drop out the usual tenth hole, uh, which is in the centre of the course, yeah. and they make the hub, uh, the mm. kind of corporate hub, and the you know the gathering area yeah, for, yeah. for the public. But then, do you, do you feel like that specific hole? Let's talk about that specifically. That's the tenth hole at Kingston Heath is the cracker. It's a, what 120 yeah, metres par three unbelievable bunkering yeah. and it's never seen in modern tournaments these days because of that very reason. Which is why we redid the 19th hole. We did, we did the 19th, Bruce Grant and I did the 19th hole. Ten, Tiger played it in that Masters. So when was that? Number two on the... 2009. Yeah, yeah so it's road. been there for 10 years. And Mike Cocking, my partner, hated it. Hated the hole. Hated the 10th hole was out and prevailed oh. upon the club to redo it and do a better one, which he did. He did, he right. did a much better hole than the hole Bruce and I did. And it's, it fits the shape of the green, the contouring of the bunkers, the, you know, the slopes coming off the bunkers. It fits much more into the other 15 original greens at Kingston Heath. So it's a much better hole than the original hole we did. Um, so, so, so those three examples, it's been a great thing for those clubs to have ex- really good holes that they can, they can – Kingston Heath rotate the par three. There are three par threes and they, they kind of rotate them around. And no one who plays that golf course – Feels like they're shortchanged if they're playing no. the new second hole. Although, In, well, you are you, you are shortchanged if you if, if the fifteenth out. Anyone who goes there when you wouldn't want to take the fifteenth hole's out of play. You're, you're being shortchanged. What about out, the, outside Victoria? Are there clubs? New South Wales have one. Which They've is got a, a spare. Not a great one. It's okay. Mm. Nothing great. So, Blakey, um, would you feel ripped off if you went to a course and played three temporary greens and the holes were shortened by fifty meters? It just depends how good the holes are. I mean. You know, in those two instances, they're superb golf holes. So you don't feel ripped off at all. But uh, I think the Metro, I'm not, not sure what number the hole is that they're dropping out. It's over near the school. 13 they're dropping out. Yeah. And uh, the hole that, that it's replacing it is probably a better hole. So well, I think I think the 9th hole at Metro is the best par three there. Yeah. yeah. It's the best of the five par threes there. In fact, it should be on the golf course. It should be a part of the and, – and it was lost for – I thought they were going to widen Windsor Avenue between Huntingdale and Metro. So Dick Wilson, when he redesigned the back nine, said you're going to have to move the fifth green up. When they widen the road, you have to move the fifth green over to where the sixth green is. But the road was never widened. But he got rid of the sixth hole, the old sixth, and added in the 11th. That, that, that was the hole they added in to replace it. But if you asked any of the members, they'd be hard, not one of them would vote that the 19th hole was the fifth ranking of the five par threes, which so, so the extension of that argument is why isn't it a part of the golf course? Clayton, uh, what's the best course that Ogilvy Clayton has designed, new build and redesigned? So two two aspects. Well, that, that's from Jason Webb, by the way. Good. We question. haven't done many new courses. Barn Boogle, Boogle will be the top. Before one. we had Ogilvy Clayton, we was Michael Clayton golf design. Ran Furley was the yeah was the new course we did. We did Barn Boogle with Tom Doak. Yeah, and I think Royal Queensland's a new course. You know, that's a partial. I mean, they they lost six holes. You don't call that a redesign? No, no. That, I think that's a new course, pretty much. You know, I would class that much more as a new course than a redesign. Yeah. Because they lost six holes. You know, there are five or six holes on the original corridors, but you know there are holes that went that go the other way. There's di- different bits of land that are used. That, that, that's a that that's a completely different job than the job we did at Lake Caranup or Royal Queensland or, or Royal Canberra. Well, have, you, have, you, have, you, have you got a best or a favourite, or are you too reluctant to sort of say that publicly? Uh, no, I never. No, cause I think that, no, I, it's like saying which child you like the best. Yeah, I, but, yeah, no, I don't. But. Well, that leads us to Owen's question, yeah. which was, where does RQ really rank Clates? Be honest without marking it down. Hashtag, I think it's great. That's from Owen. Um, in terms of interest, in terms of a golf course, it's interesting to play. I would put it in the top three in Australia. I think it's really it's unique and it's interesting. It's really you know there are lots of really interesting questions to ask there. If it was on a if you you know it's a it's not a great piece of land. It's a good piece of land. Um, if if it was if you stuck at the ocean next to it, people would rate it a lot higher than it. if you put it on New South Wales. If you put that up on top of the fifth at New South at Wales. New South Wales, it would people would rank it the in the top three in Australia. So because because I think they're rate ranking the experience they have playing the golf course. But you know, I, I would have it in my certainly in my top dozen in, in Australia, which means sort of somewhere from eight to twelve. But not many others would. But because I think they rank 
the experience as much as they rank the architecture. I'm, the I'm ranking the architecture and the interest yeah. way above the experience. Yeah. This question coming on live on the Facebook Live, which I know you're very familiar with the Facebook Live system. From, uh, pardon my eyesight here, but Raheem Lalani. Hey, guys, thoughts on Pure Distinction Greens compared to the Bent Greens? Well, Pure Distinction is Bent. It's a Bent Grass. It's, it's a just variation. a version of Bent Grass. Yeah. So uh, the Greens at Peninsula are amazing. They're, they're just open. They're Pure Distinction. Greens at Royal Canberra are still really good. I was there yesterday. They're, they're terrific. But it's just another form of Bent Grass. So, so there are any number of Bent Grass Greens. So I think that you know, the, the evidence of the early openings at Peninsula suggests it's probably the best bent grass surface in Australia. But let's see in ten years if it's still the best bent grass. I mean, Royal Melbourne's bent grass is great. When they get the greens good at Kingston Heath and Metro, Metro they're terrific. Victoria's new greens are going to be pure distinction. So hopefully there is they turn out as well as Peninsula. No reason why they won't. But it's just another form of bent grass. Another question here off the Facebook live stream from Jared McGuan. Uh, with the focus of lo- on longer holes in course design, is it harder to make courses with character these days? Yeah, because it, well, it, it depends who you're building them for. If you're building a course for Cameron Champ, then you've got to... <laughs> well, it's very hard to yeah. get technical like, what they superiority do is, here. What, what designers give up on it in trying to make a course that's long enough for the PGA Tour guys, they give up on the short holes. So they give up on the 120-yard par 3 and the, and the great 280-yard par 4, where I think they're an integral part of a, of a course being interesting to play. The, the, the reality of golf is now that par means nothing anymore to those guys, and you define holes by whether they be one, two, or three-shot holes. So a three-shot hole for Cameron Champ something over 650 yards. And a two-shot hole, you know, whether you call it a par 4 or a par 5, is anything under... Anything up to 550 yards. Mm. So clearly you can't build 550-yard par fours for 99% of people who play golf. So, so you know, it goes back to the, um, the disaster of the modern equipment and what it's done to the, the world's great old courses. So, so do we just give up on pros and build courses specifically for pro golf that are never going to make a profit because no one else is going to want to play them? Or do we regulate the equipment so that the great courses in places like Australia and Britain become relevant again? problem is the debate's dominated by America, whose great courses don't hold tournaments. Well, not, very few of the great courses in America, hold to- aside from the US Open, they just don't go there. So they've got the TPC courses and the PGA Tour courses that you know, no one has any much interest in playing particularly. I mean, that's, that's unfair because there are Harbour Town and Muirfield Village and Trinity Falls, which is a great modern course. You know, they, they play a lot of decent courses, but... The average PGA Tour course is deadly dull and boring. And yeah. if you're trying to test Cameron Champ, then 8,000 yards is your number. Ridiculous. Which is just complete madness. Yeah. So uh, just an acknowledgement here of a question or a statement from Richard Lowe. Windaroo Lakes in Brisbane is a fun little course. Has a, has a spare practice screen. So thanks for that, uh, Richard. Another question, probably for you this one, Blakey. When can juniors start playing in comps? My son, who's seven, loves golf. This is a question from Jason and Olivia Rudolph. Yeah. My son, who's seven, loves golf, has his own junior Callaway set, hits them really well. When can he get into it? Um, I don't know a lot about this, Hazy, but you know, my gut feel would be that's a bit too early. Uh, I'd rather, at that point in time, you'd want him, you're wanting people to just get out and play, aren't you? Yeah, just play. Don't, don't worry about scoring. Just play. Don't, don't score. I, just... I, I guess if you... I mean, the biggest comp you can have when you're seven is trying to beat your dad, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just, just go, I mean, that's what Jeff Ogilvie did. I mean, Jeff was out... Trying to beat his dad. He, he still remembers when he beat his dad for the first time. So, so yeah. when you're seven, the comp is try and beat your dad. On one hole or two holes? No, the 18 holes. And then the whole 18 oh, yeah. holes. I remember the day that the day my dad stopped playing golf clates was the when day beat I beat him at Royal Camperdown down in the Western District of Victoria. He got onto the uh, seventh tee and poked a couple out of bounds, and I I broke him from there, and he's never picked up the sticks again. Well, Hazy and I have just completed a book with, uh, well, it's actually Jared Lyle's autobiography, the late, great Jared Lyle, and he uh, played against his father, John, at Shepparton Golf Club. Uh, John was a very, very good player, was never above four handicap for 20 or 30 years, and uh, you know he, he certainly remembered when he beat John Absolutely. for the first time, didn't he? Absolutely, he did. Acknowledgement to I like this question, uh, Hazy. From Darren Blenkinsop, Hayes, um, Clates. Um, if the pros played a tournament without drivers and without 
other metal woods, how many shots might they ta- that take off a winning score around Augusta or St Andrews? Would that make those courses play more like they were intended? Yeah, if they used a wooden three-wood. If they used a wooden three-wood off the current tees at Augusta, which, which were built for a titanium driver and a graphite shaft, they used a steel-shafted wooden three-wood. Power would win, probably. At Maybe Augusta? Not. Well, you've got 500-yard par fours, haven't you? With well, a three-wood added... off the... Mind you, Cameron Chamber, I'm sure you can hit it 300 yards. So, so no, no, under par would win. And, mm. and they're great at manipulating the score. They can That's right. set those greens that manipulate the score pretty well. But mm. the interesting thing of a test with Lucas Herbert was that bloke who said, well, that test is not legitimate because the balls are dead. The point that got made later on Twitter was that, well, the, the balls might have been dead, but they only went 15 metres shorter off the same driver. So they can't, one, they can't have been that dead. And for all the money that the companies have spent on R&D, they've only picked up 15 yards with the golf ball on, on yeah. a dead 30-year-old ball. Well, the R&D guys are doing a pretty lousy job. But, but what that showed was that so much of the distance increases, it's, it is the club, the shaft, and the driver. That's right. The balls yeah. are part of it, and, and the ball goes straighter so they, so they can hit it harder. You know, it doesn't spin as much in the wind. But the, the, but the club is as big a culprit of the distance going to the top level as the ball. So, but, but the ball is the fix, I think, because you're never going to sell to the equipment manufacturers taking the big-headed drivers out of pros' hands because I think that I don't agree with the argument that amateurs want to play with the same ball pros do, but I think they want to play with the same clubs they do. So, so taking the big-headed, which is, what, which is what should happen in my view, but it won't, take, sending pros back to the clubs that, Tiger won the 97 Masters with that small-headed – well, what wasn't a small head for the time, that, that Cobra driver he used. He went back to that in a steel shaft and regulated the ball a little bit. That, then you would have some sanity back in the business. But And if you played at St Andrews on hard, a hard, dry St Andrews, old course with uh, a two-iron as the longest club in your bag, you, you, those guys are still going to hit a two-iron on a hard, fast St Andrews, 320, yeah, 30 well, two, yards. Well, 280 probably. Yeah. Well, not into the wind. No. But if it's, you know, I mean. But you could play it. The thing is, Cameron you? Champs, the, the game changes at the moment. Every era, there's been someone who's become the norm in the next. So Sneed came out, and people couldn't believe how far Sneed hit it. And the next guy was Nicholas, and no one could believe how far Nicholas hit it. And then it was Davis Love slash John Daly. When Daly won the. No one could believe how far. Did, yet, for eight years later, he was the, Daly was the norm. In fact, two, he averaged 291. That's, that's not in the top, not remotely close to the top 100 anymore. So after Daly came Woods, no one could believe how far Tiger hit it. And then, then we saw Barber and Woodland. Johnson and Kepka and Woodland. And they're not, whilst they're not the norm, they're still in the top. Cameron Champs an exponential leap again ahead of those. But in five or ten years' time, if, if history's right, there's a bunch of 16-year-old kids out there with teachers going, that's how he's doing it. The, the ball comes out at 190 miles an hour, whatever it is. Clubhead speed's 130. The ball goes 340. Well, teach me how to do that. Yep. Well, you go to the gym, you you, you, you ramp up your equipment. You, you, you know, you, so Cameron Champ will, will be the norm. If history from Sam Snead on or Ted Ray on even before that, if history is any judge of what's going to happen, he'll be the norm in 10 years. So what do you do when the average drive, when, when 340 is, there are 20 guys in the ball 340 yards. Okay, so that that's an... A fairly categoric answer. I just wanted to, um, there's a question here from Andrew Price, and we spoke about it last week. It says, will you have someone on from Discovery Sport regarding the new streaming app in 2019, uh, since Australia is going to be one of the first to experience that? The answer is yes. I promised that that would be on this week, but we didn't quite get there. The Discovery crew didn't respond to my emails. I would definitely will get them back on at some point in the next couple of weeks, Andrew. Um, stick with me there. Can't uh, can't make them answer their emails, but I will get back so we, to you on that We do that know one. that there is going to be a streaming service for the US PGA Tour and yep. the six tours that are under their banner yep. uh, in Australia from next year. Golf TV from yep. 1 January, and it will it is happening. we just got to find out the details and hopefully let people know and, and get the nuts and bolts of it and what it means to Australian golf fans. Hopefully a few more will get to see a few more international events. You got any more questions, Blakey, there off that magical yeah, sheet? Yeah, I like this question from Daniel Mercer, who I'm familiar with. He, he engages with me on Twitter. Uh, does the Vic State government have any ambition to bring the Aussie Masters back? And before you talk, Clates, uh, I would say the answer to that is no. For our listeners out of uh, Victoria, 
Uh, Daniel Andrews, the Premier of Victoria, who's up for election in the next month or so, um, is a great golf lover. He uh, is a member at Kingston Heath. He's, he's almost a golf tragic clates, isn't he? But uh, he is the, the Aussie Masters would appear to me to have gone for the time being, and he is focusing his energies into the uh, Vic Open down at 13th Beach, and that event is just growing, uh, you know, exponentially to ten times the the prize money next year that what it was a few years ago. So um, Daniel Andrews uh, has been focusing on that, and I saw an interview with him in the Golf Vic magazine actually yesterday, in which he was asked about uh, tournaments in Melbourne and the fact that there's uh, haven't been many big tournaments in Melbourne. And he said, "Well, we don't need it because we've got an amazing event uh, down at Thirteenth Beach." Uh, that that we're supporting and it's and it's growing and it's extremely successful. So I think the answer, Daniel, is is no. Yeah, I think so too. Um, obviously, a privately held event for a long time by IMG Golf, and I don't think that that's coming back. I wouldn't hold your breath at any stage soon. I know that IMG won't technically if it did, but... technically call it dead, but I'm I'm pretty sure that we won't see that again. But we have President World Cup, President's Cup, President's Cup, and two Australian Opens. So there's only one year in Melbourne, the next five that doesn't have a tournament. Correct. And yeah. Daniel Andrews is doing a lot for golf in Victoria. It's just um, the the Masters is probably not going to be where he's focusing his attention. That's for sure. Clayton, another question from you from Ross Horsley here on Facebook Live. Uh, when did the Lakes? Uh, when did the Lakes redesign? Uh, when you did the Lakes redesign? Pardon me. Mm-hmm. Was changing grass considered? And if so, why did they decide against it? It was considered, but none of us like the idea of dormant cooch for three months here in the winter. And we'll see at the Australian Open this year, the Kaikuya Fairways. You can make an argument that the Kaikuya Fairways at the lakes are the best fairways they're, on the mainland. They're a carpet, aren't they? They're amazing. Kaikuya, they have Kaikuya of 2018 out, is not it's, – one, is hard to keep it out. And Kaikuya of 2018 is not Kaikuya of 1970. It's completely no. different grass. Mm. So it's – there are – Growth retardants that find that grass down. Riviera is an amazing surface in, in Los Angeles. Yeah. It's a great surface. So you know, we, look, we thought it. We didn't think long and hard because there was only one answer to the question. This is a, way, this is a better year-round surface than Coochies in Sydney. Here's a great question. There's a maniacal question on here from my wife about my, the, the luster of my hair yeah. plates, but I won't go over And we're that. being watched. The, the live stream's being watched uh, from LA. Yeah, some great people checking in from LA here. Thank you for your watching. Um, from Christopher Abbott, this is a fantastic question, Clates. I think you'll like this. Should you design around defined landing zones on fairways to control distances? For example, would they be narrower, even no fairway between 250 and 300 metres? Well, you can, you can do that. We did that at the lakes at the fourth hole to solve a boundary problem. So you, you can do that. Occasionally, you can chop a fairway off and say you can only go so far. The problem with doing that is that the shorter hitters can't get across for often can't get across for two. So there's a problem with that. Give me the other part of that question. So, um, well, there's a hole at the lakes that's got it chopped off. Sorry, it? should it be narrowed down at two fifty or three hundred? Well, or even like blocked, or even blocked off was well, the question. Well, no, I don't like the idea of narrowing stuff down because then you punish guys who can really hit the ball a long way. I think you want to punish guys who hit the ball well and a long way. You want to punish them by pulling the ball back and making the ball not go as far. But why should my point would be, why are we distorting the dimensions of the golf courses to suit Titleist and Callaway and TaylorMade? Why can't they fit in with the golf? You know, you would ruin the concept of St Andrews and Royal Melbourne and Kingston Heath and Metropolitan and the National Golf Links of America and Augusta if you narrowed the fairways at 250 yards to control the golf ball. So, so why should the game ruin its great treasures to accommodate the egos of the and the shareholders of the, of the inventors. Next question for you, Clates, off the uh, off the Twitter from Johnny Mack. Johnny Mack. Does standing in the line of a putt, or one of my pet peeves, the through line in inverted commas, oh, which I think is a, is a complete farce, through actually through. affect the role of the ball, or <clears throat> does it just slow down play? Uh, it's a it's a it's a courtesy. It's it's a cross between a courtesy and an affectation. Greg Norman introduced it. No one ever heard of it in Australia. The through line. Before Greg started complaining about guys. So the through line is when you putt a ball out and stand in the potential line of the next player to putt if he putts past the hole. Yeah. So if it's a soft, mushy green, then no, you don't do it. But Royal Melbourne, it makes no difference. Yeah, no, no difference. Especially in – and the answer to that is, you know, I'm not planning on missing it. 
Mm. I'm planning on holding it, so don't worry about it. Whack it in. Yeah. But if it's a, if, if they're really soft, bad greens, <clears throat> excuse me, then yeah, it's a courtesy to at Royal Melbourne. It's an affectation to do it because it's completely unnecessary. Uh, Sean Smith's asking, Clayton, <clears throat> can I have your views on bunkering in relation to golf course maintenance? It's a fairly general question. Well, it's too much time spent maintaining them because too many golfers think they should be consistent. So you regard them as a hazard and uh, well, leave them as they yeah, are? Kind of 99% thing. of people listening will think, if you ask them, should bunkers be consistent, they would say yes. Yeah. Well, I would say no, they should not be consistent. I mean, right. they should be reasonably consistent, but not maintained with an inch of their life. So every line, every bunker's got the same depth of sand under it. Kingston Heath, if you go in the bunker on the right of the fifth hole, you know there's much less sand in that bunker because it's on the flat, heavy soil on the, on the down the down on the low part of that golf course. You go on the bunker on the top of the hill at the 15th, it's a foot deep because it's in the sand dune. So the, the diligent player knows how to play out of the different lies. They, they, they can tell with their feet and their instinct whether it's hard or soft. If it's hard, you've got to get closer to the ball, steeper. It's soft, yet further behind the ball, make it shallower. So the diligent player knows how to play shots out of a variety of lies. And it's a hazard. You've got to deal with inconsistency. And it's impossible to make them consistent anyway. But bunkers, the course staff spent so much time maintaining bunkers to try and make them consistent because that's the biggest, the biggest complaint on every golf course is the, is the bunkers because it's the one shot you can complain about. Now, if you play Metropolitan now, you can't ever blame a bad lie on the fairway. No. Or you can't blame a putt for missing because of the green. But you can blame your own inadequacies on too much sand, not enough sand, too wet, too dry, plug, too soft, too hard. You know, there's any number of excuses in the bunkers. But the reality is that most people are bad bunker players because they have bad grips. My biggest gripe with that, though, Clates, is when the rake is sitting next to a two-inch deep footprint and it's less than yeah. three well, feet well, away. I mean, that's just well, lazy. Well, lazy. that's yeah. My other point would be bunkers are the one self-maintaining part of the golf course. Yeah. I mean, the, the staff, I mean, if you asked a greenkeeper how much time he spent maintaining the bunkers, it, it, I, I suspect he would say, we spend way too much time maintaining bunkers. The bunkers are actually self-maintaining. Mm. And if the staff didn't maintain them for a month, the members would soon start raking the bunkers. Mm. But, you know, it just appalls me that when you see members, how bad they are at either completely neglecting raking them or even just smoothing them over with a with, your, with a club or well, your foot. Yeah. Mm. I don't use I use a rake half the time, but mm. most of the time I just use my foot or, or a club, and it's perfectly give us fine. Yeah. And at well, Barn Boogle, in, it went, you know, when it first started, there were no, there were no, no rakes at yeah. all, were there? Which was our idea, which was a stupid idea, because yeah. people thought that no rakes meant you didn't have to rake the bunker. Whereas in fact, we assumed that they would foot or they would draw the the, 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 the bow between. Well, we'll just smooth it off with our feet, which was always Peter Thompson's argument was that don't rake bunkers. What he didn't articulate as well as he could have was, no, use your club and your feet. So they're somewhat a hazard. Mm. But rakes, his argument was that rakes made them perfect to the point where they were, you know, he would say, well, these, no bunk these bunkers are no hazards for these boys. Where in fact, in Australia, that wasn't true. I think certainly Melbourne has the most difficult greenside bunker shots in the world, as hard and fast as the greens are. The slope's coming off the bunkers, and the, you know, the, Melbourne has incredibly difficult greenside bunker shots. Well, thank you to everyone who's contributed either on uh, Twitter or Facebook or live on Facebook Live. We really appreciate it. Some questions we haven't been able to get to. I do apologise for that, but on the paper side of things, when we come to Adrian Logue's gibberish about cart paths, that's as, probably about as good a time as any to pull the plug on it. Uh, well, well, Matthew Oakley, PXGs went out, pings went in. Oh, that was, back. that was a question about Suos yeah. clubs. PXG Sorry, Matt. out, ping in. There you go. Thanks, Matt. Uh, <clears throat> thank you to everyone for contributing, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Thanks very much. And for those still listening here on the just normal inside the ropes, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with one of the most lanky, mustachioed, exciting prospects in Australian golf at the moment. Zach Murray on the other side of this. Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian golf's national junior program. One of my favourite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. MyGolf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. So, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au.
Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. And as promised, uh, this has come at an enormous expense to the management, Blakey, because this guy is going places, I can assure you. So, Appearance fees. Oh, appearance fees, I reckon. If he wasn't amateur, this would have really stung us. But as it stands, we've managed to track down Zach Murray, the newly crowned West Australian Open champion. How does that sound, Big Muzzer? Sounds pretty good. Yeah, I'm... Uh... I'm a bit rattled at the moment. I'm sort of it's been a big couple of days, and I haven't uh, haven't got that much sleep. But um, good problems to have, I suppose. It's definitely uh, definitely a life changer and something I've been working towards for a while. So it's uh, sort of sunk in a little bit last night when I had a cheeky champagne with my uh, family friends I was staying with this week up in Brizzy. So no, it does. It feels pretty cool. And you are speaking to us from the Brisbane Golf Club, a host of this week's Isuzu Queensland Open, where you, you probably try to do something that no one's really done before. Uh, are your feet back on the ground sufficiently that you can have a crack at this, or are you still just floating from what happened at Mount Lawley? Um, no, I rolled around for my practice round this morning, and um, I'm still hitting it pretty well. And um, physically, I, I'm feeling feeling fine. It's just sort of more mentally like it. Um, last week, you know, you're just sort of you're thinking a lot about what can happen, and um, so you got to be real about it. Like it's, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, in any way, shape, or form, um, not prepared for this week. It's like you know, it's just another another day at the office. Really, like I've played tournaments before where I've been a little bit mentally tired, so it's, it's really, um, yeah, I've just sort of got to try and put last week behind me for a few days and um, and give it a good good red-hot crack this week again. Zach, uh, have you made any decisions yet or given any thought to what you're going to do? Because you, as a winner, you now have a card to play, or you will have a card to play on uh, the PGA Tour of Australasia until the end of 2019, so you have a job effectively, uh, but you're still an amateur, so are you going to turn pro fairly soon, or have you thought about that um, much? I'm literally sitting right down now trying to uh, work out what I'm going to do. So, yeah, um, yeah I'll, know, I'll know in the next sort of uh, maybe a couple of hours, a couple of days, what I'm, what I'm going to do, depending on sort of what I need to organise or if I'm just going to stay amateur, probably not much. I really need to organise, just sort of play golf, really. So I'm not – I really have no idea what I'm going to do yet. I, um, Yeah, it's all sort of coming as a bit of a rush, but – I'm not, yeah, I'm not too phased either way. Like at the end of the day, if I'm if I decide to turn professional, that's that's how it is, and I'll continue to play golf like I like I am at the moment. And if I stay amateur, then I just do the same thing. It's really like it doesn't phase me too much. It's obviously just um, a decision that I'm just sort of trying to work out what my focus is for the next 12 months, what goals I want to achieve, and. Um, and what's the best sort of pathway for me to do that? So, uh, yeah, just sort of try and try and map out a bit of a twelve month, six month, three month sort of um, goal chart, and and just run with it. So, Zach, you you could in theory just tell the PGA that you're a pro, and could you could you play as a pro this week if you wanted to? Yeah, I could. Yeah, could. yeah, they. So, um, yeah, I could play. Yeah, I just got to pay my fees and and tee it up and into it. Because obviously winning makes you exempt for a couple of years. So, I mean, there's some nice tournaments coming up to you could keep playing well. You can make a chunk of cash in the next few months. Yeah, there is. There's some great opportunities. And it's, it's a uh, pretty thick dangling carrot right there. But it's, um, <laughs> well, yeah, it's sort of, like, I'm, uh, I mean, like, it's, it's overwhelming. Like, it is. It's, but at the same time, like, I'm not, I'm not too fussed about the day. Like, yeah. I've never had any anyway, so it's not. It's not like um, don't you miss know, what you you don't have. That's right. So I'm not too stressed. It's, you know, growing up in the country, like you know, it's just sort of um, it's all a bit surreal. Like to be to win last week, and it sort of just changes everything. So I laugh about it a bit. Um, so we'll just try and make the best decision. And um, I think there's always going to be criticisms either way. And but at the end of the day, like if I just keep putting a few good results on the board here and there, it sort of takes care of itself, I suppose. Mate, tell us that tell us that Matty Miller did uh, shout you a couple of uh, beverages at the Mount Lawley uh, Clubhouse, surely. Oh, no. He, he was off like a bride's night. He's straight out of there. Like, <laughs> didn't, didn't even see him. Off in the dark night. So I, uh, 
That's yeah, a dis- that's a disgrace from him. Is he is he sort of offered up a couple of you know shekels on the sly at the Brisbane Golf Club? What's going on? Yeah, I just ran into him just before, so I'll chase him down for a couple this week. But uh, he's a legend, fella. So he's a great player. I have to, uh, I have to. Uh, I think he put me on a bit of a rain check arrangement, so I'll uh, I'll get around to it. I wouldn't mind having a couple with him later in the week eventually. So yeah. when are you back in the bar at Kingston Heath, serving serving the members? Uh, probably. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Probably uh, in the next couple of weeks, I suppose. It's sort of. <laughs> Back to reality, but uh, no, it's been great. Great moving to Melbourne six months ago, and the golf's obviously flourished a fair bit in the last sort of six months, and it's really nice to um, have the support from Kingston Heath, and um, you know, it's just good to be around good people there, and Commonwealth as well, where I remember at. Um, they're super supportive, and um, yeah, like to be honest, like it's just so cool to have so many people. Um, there that I can have a chat to, not not just about this sort of stuff, but just about anything really. Like it just sort of takes takes the stress off it. And um, at the end of the day, um, the whole decision just comes down to me enjoying my golf. So if turning pro is going to um, sort of stress me out on the course. I've got too many things to worry about. Like I'll just I'll just take me time and get a few get me ducks in a row and um, enjoy my golf. And of course, Hazy's uh, given you all his lessons in chipping. We've seen that famous video <laughs> from whenever that was, eighteen months ago at the Interstate. Uh, so your chipping must be pretty solid after what Hazy's shown you. I like to think that Muzz has been made much more nimble and light on his feet. Like he's he's far <laughs> yeah. more athletic over the ball but, these days. That's a fair enough. Comment, for our it? listeners who don't understand this, there's a video available. Where, where can you find that no, video? It's been have you, have you taken record. it off the internet? Stuck from the record. No, uh, Hazy hitting up. a bladed lob wedge that almost took out the Victorian. Interstate Series captain Zach Murray. Um, it's very funny. Yeah, I was nearly the one-legged bandit that week. I <laughs> nearly caught one right in the uh, yeah, beautiful right in the ankle. But uh, yeah, I, I think I'm definitely lighter on my feet. I, I've stopped my footy career, so I, that's uh, that's helped the old uh, the old hands. My uh, finger didn't go too well when I when I played footy, so it was nice not to cut one of the ankles from Hazy. Well, you're welcome, Zach. You can, you can thank me anytime. Mate, um, I've got That's another question right. to ask you. Um, I know that plenty of people will think that I mean the jewel in the sun here when I refer to this next question, but I understand you watched a, a new uh, official film from the Open Championship uh, just maybe even on Saturday night when you were about to line up with David Michaluzzi and play the final round at the WI Open. Is it called The Jewel of the Suns? Yeah, so it's the uh, year that... Uh, I think it's 2016, Henrik and, and Nicholson had that uh, unreal battle in the British Open and there's a, um, the official film's called Jewel of the Sun. So it's, um, I, think it's, I think they named it after uh, um, Tom Watson and Jack Nicholson's duel um, when they, they battled it out uh, back in the day. So uh, it's a cracker. It's so good. Like just the, the commentary the whole feel, the about a 55-minute documentary. And, um, yeah, like, obviously going... I was one ahead going into the last round, and uh, so was Henrik. Um, and it sort of was a bit of a ding-dong battle. Um, and I remember I hold, I hold my, my birdie putt on the first hole, and I just remember Henrik describing when he held that bomb on, on 15, I think it was, his caddy just said, just breathe, like, and because my adrenaline was pumping, like, I'm like, Jesus is pretty, pretty cool. And um, in the moment, like, you sort of, you've got to calm yourself down because it's only the first hole and uh, 17 to go. So, um, yeah, that was a good thing to watch the night before. And I've got a couple of good pointers out of it. And um, I've actually watched it a fair bit. I'm a bit addicted to it. It's just such a cool, cool thing to watch. And, um, yeah, I died and love Henrik. He's a gun. The Iceman, you're going to be the uh, the mustachioed Iceman of, of, of Wodonga. No, I'm uh, I'm a baby face at the moment. I shaved all the uh, all the hairs off me off me melon this morning. <laughs> uh, Zach, how's your your old man Craig? Because he carried the bag for you in Perth at Mount Lawley, and uh, there was a bit of a rumour that there was a bit of waterworks going on afterwards. Yeah, he had a dabble in a couple of quiet ones. He did. Um, he had a few tears yeah. as well, didn't he? 
Oh, he did. Yeah, no, talking about the tears. Yeah. yeah well, uh, yeah, he did. It's been. Uh, he's worked pretty, pretty hard over the last couple of years to sort of keep uh, keep everything above water at home. And um, yeah, he's just he's just a legend. We had a great week, and I think I said in my interview yesterday with uh, with Justin Falcon that he sort of doesn't have no filter, so it's sort of he just says what he. What, what sort of what, stuff what does he say? Mind. Does he say the completely wrong thing sometimes? Oh, there is a there is a pretty funny story. I I don't know whether it's appropriate or not, but I'll turn it down a little bit. Um, on four days in the last round, I hit my tee shot behind a, one of the shrubs, and um, I just said to a couple of the the guys, "Oh, did you see that?" And they're like, "Oh, yeah, it's under the bush. You're not going to like it. You're probably going to break your club." And Dad, like, just instantly just went. He doesn't need to hear that, like to one of the blokes. And I'm like, oh, geez, Dad, just, just simmer down, like, goodness gracious, like. So, but uh, no, no, I had a bit of a giggle about that. Like, he just, he just, just loves it. He's so into it, and it's so nice to have um, someone like that on the bag to share that with, and uh, to have Mum and Dad support me like they do is is really special. And um, yeah, so no, we had a cracking week, and he hasn't caddied for me for for a long time, so. He's on a bit of a roll at the moment. I won the bright open a couple of weeks before, so two out of two for the big man. He's on a he's on a mission from God. That's magnificent. Mate, I just remember one of the first times we saw you bob up and have a big win was at the Australian Master of the Amateurs. Was that twenty fifteen maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Twenty fifteen. Now there was a bottleneck playing Royal Melbourne West. There was a bottleneck uh on the where is it, the sixteenth tee, the par three before you come back over onto the main property three or four groups and the pressure's building towards the final couple of holes and you've got a two or three shot lead in the Australian Master of the Amateurs, which would have been your biggest uh, event win at the time. And you are holding court in front of about 50 or 60 people on that tee telling jokes. How how the hell do you do that as an 18, 19-year-old boy? And you, people can hear you talk now. You know, it's, it's very loose and entertaining. How do you do that, mate? Uh, I don't know. Like, it definitely inside of me, I, I'm not that calm. Like, I was, I'm a, I play my golf pretty nervous. Like, I've always got the butterflies in the guts, and um, like, I feel as though I'm a little on edge the whole time. But that's just the way I play. Like, it doesn't doesn't affect me. But sort of when I get get a chance to have a bit of a bit of a laugh and a joke, it definitely takes the uh, takes the mind off it. And um, yeah, I think it's basically just just due to the people that I've hung around as a kid like it's just as I said before like I just want to try and enjoy my golf like I don't I definitely take take it super seriously and and work really hard but at the same time like this is uh this is potentially going to be my be my job for for a long time and dad's always said you know you want to you're going to have a job like you want to go to work every day and enjoy it and um yeah, like I just try and enjoy the experience. Like I walked down the last at Mount Lawley last week, and um, everything was pretty serious. And I had a four shot lead, but I was sort of still really focused, and I just couldn't quite remember much about it. So after everything had sort of settled down, and um, I just sort of walked down 18, and and just sort of just try to take a little bit in. Just um, yeah, I just rang my mate, and we just had a bit of a laugh about what had gone on, and it just. Just trying to keep it real. Like at the end of the day, um, yeah, it's just just a game, and uh, it's it's pretty tough at the time when you're when you're battling. But you just sort of got to have a bit of a laugh about it, I suppose. It's, um, you don't want to get it get too serious about it. Well, mate, I can I'll vouch for you. Uh, I've had you know a fair bit to do with uh, Zach over the last few years, Blakey, as you know. And I, there's no one more real than on the course. And mate, we are full of your praise and we're thrilled that you've continued this golden era on so beautifully. We wish you well. And also I know you're sitting there at the moment talking with your longtime coach, Marty Joyce, please pass our thoughts and congrats to him. I know he'll be chuffed. I'm, I'm assuming he's probably sitting listening to you. Ah, uh, no, I'm walking around aimlessly. People are probably looking at me going, what's this bloke doing? <laughs> so I will, I will say good day. Um, so yeah, it'll be get back to business and work out what I'm going to do and, uh, just push on, I suppose. Keep keep hunting for another another win. Well, good on you, mate. You've made a lot of people happy, and we're thrilled that you've done that. And good luck this week at the Isuzu Queensland Open.
No, thanks so much, guys. You fulfilled a lifelong dream to be on the podcast. So I'm okay. not stoked. Get back to the bar at Kingston Heath and start serving up the members. <laughs> I will, I will. Get back to reality, eh? Yeah, yeah. there you go. Zach Murray, everyone. I, I'm surprised. It always makes me laugh talking to Zach because he's such a loose unit and I really hope that he continues on. Can you um, any more laid back? Oh, he's, he's, he's like a reclining. He's in a recliner. He's that laid back. It's incredible. And just if he can go on and, and do something in his professional career of note, just like Curtis Luck and Brett Coletta and all the guys we've had through here, Lucas Herbert recently, which is I'm honoured that they come on and, and are so giving. They'll really take the place by storm because how loose they are and how entertaining. So congrats again, Muzz. Um, that's a voice hopefully we'll all hear a lot more of in coming years. Blakey, just wrapping up some other stuff before we uh, ship up to the uh, housekeeping segment of the show. We didn't uh, really touch on the on the WGC event in China last week. Yeah, Xander Schauffele won that in a playoff with Tony Finau, who had re- pretty much uh, led for most of the tournament. It was interesting, Clates. If you watch the uh, Schauffele play the last hole, he hit his ball par five. He hit his ball on the on the green for two, I think, on the back of the green. And um, uh, Justin Rose was pitching in there, and he wedged it, and it landed, bounced, and knocked Schauffele's ball into the water behind behind the green, to which. A lot of the crowd and probably a few TV viewers are going, oh, my God, what's happened here? But uh, obviously he got to replace his ball and he went on and won his first uh, WGC event. He wins big ones, Shawfly. He's won the Tour Championship as well. And that's a WGC at 25 years of age. Pretty impressive. Jason Day finished tied 11th. He's playing okay. Jason is just about to have a break. And Adam Scott finished tied 18th. Hazy? Remarkable Shawfly. He's built like a pull-through for a rifle. And he's the exact what you were talking about before, Clades, and the it, yeah. smashes it. Just he's come up. That's how he plays. He smashes it. It's extraordinary. He'd weigh. My best guess is that he'd weigh seventy high sixties kilos. Mm. Like, um, you know, Cameron Champ's a bigger unit. He's still he's still slender, but it's exactly what you said before. Anyway, we'll we'll see more of that now, Clades. Uh, we are coming up to the Australian Open, um, and Blakey, actually, you might want to make mention of yeah, only a couple of weeks away. You might want to make mention of a couple of new announcements into the field this afternoon. Yeah, so India's Anibhan Lahiri, who played President's Cup a couple of years ago for the international team, and Nicholas Colsarts from Belgium, is that correct? Yeah, uh, yeah. They're, both, they're both in the field. So just chipping away and adding a few very decent players, aren't they? Clates, I think you've had a bit to do with Colsarts especially. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, I played with him. Married to an, or getting married, married to an Australian, Australian girl. girl from Sydney. Mm. Got one... Little boy, I think. So he's yeah, he's a good player. He he's fun to watch. Played an amazing match with Tiger Woods in the Ryder Cup at Medina, where he was a four ball, I think. And he cleaned him up. He made everything. Shot a kind of crazy score. He's got the super capacity to go yeah, really he's low. A good player. We're going to love it. Long head of good, good guy. Fun to watch. So he'll be he'll be good. Yeah, the field's actually starting to build. And Keegan Bradley in that event that you mentioned a second ago, we started in pretty good nick. So um, and and others too. So what about Jeff Ogilvy? Well, this Jeff. is this is the elephant in the room here at the moment because um, Jeff Ogilvy wrote a, a really fascinating piece in the Golf Australia magazine that's on the newsstands now. Um, I think full of great points. Uh, Ninety-five out of a hundred, the five marks I'll take off were, were for him potting a couple of little things, which is neither here nor there. But that's just my opinion. I thought. A very well-reasoned argument, and one of his points was, you know, people should turn up and play because it's the one that they love the most. And, Clates, you're unfortunately going to get looped into this discussion because of your affinity with with Jeff um, in a business sense. Jeff Ogilvy, unfortunately, doesn't look like he's going to be able to turn up to the lakes. Do you know any more about that? I don't. We were in China last week, and he was – we organized a practice round, and um, we told me who was coming for him. And so something – Weird guy. I know he's tricky. I know he's moving out. The whole family are coming out to Australia. So I'm he's not, coming home. Yeah, but that's very home. soon too, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So I'm not sure that what the timing's like. I know he's he's out for the for the World Cup and looks like he's going to play the PGA. And we, we, there's a charity day we're doing at Little Frank at Frankston Golf Club on the Friday of the World Cup. So he's here for that. So he's, he's hopefully that out. changes, Hazy. You know, just as things stand at the moment, my understanding is he's not entered in the Australian Open. Okay. Uh, but hopefully that changes. I mean, maybe he gets an invitation. Or... I'm definitely not potting him. I don't want him yeah. to think that because, you know, there's barely been a bigger stalwart of the Australian Open. Yeah. And it's a, it's a beautiful piece about the importance of the of the Stonehaven Cup to him now, especially on reflection. But, so hopefully yeah. 
uh, he'll take the opportunity to play he'll, several more years. He'll be important in, in Australia. He, Peter Thompson's gone now, but Jeff can replace him, I think. And you know, we spoke a bit about sort of playing. When I was a kid, the Woodlands Open was a Queen's Day, Queen's Birthday tournament, thirty-six holes. Yarra Yarra had them. Where the best pros and it's Jeff Parzo and John Davis, who were Vic Open winners, club pros, played with the best amateurs, and that, all those tournaments are gone now. And Jeff was kind of talking about keen to kind of re- resurrecting that sort of stuff. He, he doesn't want to play for any money necessarily. He just wants to you know get the best players in Victoria playing with each other again. Yeah. So I think he can be an important sort of part um, of golf in the next 40 or 50 years in Australia. I'm sure he will. And it's just an unfortunate piece of yeah. timing around an article. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'd love to, we can't wait to have Jeff back in. And hopefully it means he'll be a contributor to this show because he's clearly one of the best thinkers in world golf. So uh, disappointing, but that's just the way the cookie's crumbling this year. Uh, and just on the Australian Open, we're only two weeks out from it. Uh, if you live in Sydney or you've got the ability to travel to New South Wales, Tickets are available from $33 for adults and can be purchased through the Oz Open website, which is www.ozopengolf.com. So get around that, especially if you're in Sydney. It'd be real, uh, it, it's going to be a fantastic week as ever. And we're doing a podcast while we're there, correct? We are. So it's going to be, we're, we're, unfortunately, Australian Open Radio doesn't appear as though it's going to make an appearance this year, Blakey, which is unfortunate. Um, yeah, I just know, a budget situation. Yeah, budgetary situation, yeah. yeah, which is hopefully it'll come back in years we'll, to come. Because we got paid so much last year. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> your, your wage bill really <laughs> yeah. killed us, Clayton. Yeah. Um, but this year it looks like um, we're going to be recording um, Inside the Ropes daily, uh, shows from the lakes all week. Uh, there'll be a special preview available on Monday, November 12, from the course. Uh, and make sure you catch all the daily content. We'll do heaps there. So it's going to be a... A new look for Inside the Ropes that week, so we'll uh, we'll come at you all guns blazing five or six times from the lakes in Sydney. And we have to go, guys. It's been a uh, short and sharp show today. We really appreciate uh, Zach Murray for taking the time from his schedule to, to fit us in. And Clates, among all your podcasts, that you can still remember the ones who made you famous. Thanks, mate. I enjoyed it. It was <laughs> worth that early, early rise in Albury to where's Zach Murray's hometown, Wodonga? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a pretty nice place to grow up. And, Blakey, you've held my hand beautifully as ever. Thanks, Hazy. Uh, That's episode number 67 of Inside the Ropes. We'll come back and do it all again next week.